Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 31, in which my guest will be another employee of Titan Tower, WWE corporate employee, and a man who worked with me for years on WWE Magazine and other WWE publications, uh, Aaron Williams. Some of you who have been longtime readers and collectors of WWE Magazines may know that name, and we had a really great conversation, a lot of fun that I'm going to take you to in a few minutes. Uh, But a few other things I want to get to on this week's episode. I actually have um, a few items I'd like to uh, briefly mention uh first of all shut up and wrestle uh, offers its condolences to the friends and family of howard brody of course who many of us knew and know uh howard was a longtime wrestling promoter in 80s 90s 2000s uh really with a home base in florida in the florida area but of course he was also the president of the national wrestling alliance for a combined seven years, and uh, as as some people may not realize, uh, the only person in the history of the National Wrestling Alliance to be the president of that organization for a longer amount of time was Sam Muchnick himself. So um, uh, my heart goes out once again to the family and friends and all those who remember the great promoter Howard Brody. Um, I'd like to address a matter from last week's episode, episode 30, the Kevin Sullivan episode. Um, there were a few mentions, and and I, I sort of expected this, of uh, of sort of a, um, a lack of sound quality with Kevin's interview, maybe a, a little less than you've come to expect. Uh, his, his side of the conversation uh, was lacking a little bit in volume. Uh, we unfortunately, you know, on some of these interviews where we've got some of these great, great legends of pro wrestling, um, who are, um, not the most technologically savvy, right? As a uh, catch, catch uh, a lot of us in another 30 and 40 years and see how good we are with technology. So, so I, I'm very tolerant of that. But when that happens, sometimes we have to do the interview on a cell phone and things like that. And we can't do it on Skype or Zoom. And, and sometimes the sound quality suffers. So I do apologize for that. It's something I'm aware of. And I'm, uh, thanks for bearing with me. I, I still thought it was a wonderful conversation worth uh, worth raising your volume a little bit more to take a listen to. So I'm going to be conscious of that on episodes going forward, especially. Um, what else would I like to talk to before we to talk about before we get to that interview? Um, oh, you know, as I am sitting here recording this, I am 
in my hotel room at the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame weekend in Albany, New York. So I'm excited to be here, a part of this. It's the second weekend. I'm going to be signing books and uh, meeting people. I've already met a bunch of people. We were at the ribbon cutting at the MVP Arena earlier today. Seth Turner and company do a great job here at the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. And now they have a physical space. So I encourage you to check them out. They're doing good work here. They're really kind of restoring the history of pro wrestling up here in the New York area where uh, it once had a home many years ago. Uh, those of us who remember the the old Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame that moved, um, Seth and his organization really is a worthy successor that I'm proud to be associated with. So I'm doing that at the moment, of course, as this episode is posted, that will be just a few days in the past. And I'd like to mention, as I did last week, that next month I will be at the Cauliflower Alley Club reunion in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I will be signing copies of Blood and Fire there. I will be uh, meeting and greeting and and getting to, to talk with a lot of my longtime friends and colleagues, and I hope that you could make it. The CAC uh, has uh, been putting this on for so long now, and it's only since last year that I have been attending, and I had a great time then, and I intend to have a great time this time as well. So hope to see you there. Uh, Also want to make quick mention of the new issue of Inside the Ropes magazine. That would be uh, issue number 24. It has Vince McMahon's unmistakable mug on the cover. And this is my cover story. The first time that I have had the cover story on Inside the Ropes magazine. And it's a whole piece about Vince's retirement and and kind of what the WWE might look like going forward without him and under the leadership of Triple H. Some speculation on what we could expect in the months and years to come from WWE. So I hope you check that out at Inside the Ropes magazine.com and finally i i want to also put it out there that i was in the past week uh brought down to brooklyn new york my old stomping grounds where i grew up where i lived but uh, not to visit any friends and family but uh, i was at the studios of vice that's right the studios of vice tv yours and mine favorite producers of wrestling documentaries as part of a project they're putting together which I will be able to give more information on as it gets a little closer. It's something you can expect in a couple of months on Vice, and I will be all over this thing, I hope, because they talked to me for almost three hours. So hopefully they use some of what they uh, what we did. Uh, anyway, all that aside, it's now my pleasure to get to this fantastic conversation. You know, Aaron and I shared an office, shared a space for years, and when we got to talk, it was like we would it was like we didn't miss a beat, even though, you know, it's been 17 years since we worked together for the people that love the inside looks at the WWE business and what happened inside the walls of Titan Tower and that whole world and what it was like. If those are the stories that you like and you've enjoyed listening to here uh, on Shut Up and Wrestle, then this is going to be an episode for you. So pull up a chair, get comfortable, have a seat. Grab your favorite snack and get ready for one hell of a fun conversation with my old buddy, Aaron Williams, which I'm going to take you to right now. Okay, so at this moment, this is a special one for me. I would like to welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, 
somebody who I once shared an office with a long, long time ago, and we drove each other insane for about four years. And if, if it wasn't an office, it was a bordering cubicle. We, we were never far from each other. Um, longtime readers and collectors of WWE magazine. Uh, you will remember him as a writer and an editor on those magazines from about 2000 to 2004. He was also the managing editor of Raw magazine for a little while. And um, rumor has it that he may have been involved with uh, whoever the informer was at various times. Uh, maybe we could shed a little light on the informer mystery from uh, the WWF slash WWE magazine days. Um, his real life shoot name is Aaron Feigenbaum, but readers of the magazine will remember him as Aaron Williams. Welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle Double A. Thank you, Brian. Very good to be with you. It's been a while. I know it has, and I wasn't kidding when I said it. When 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 we started, I mean, well, a few months in, uh, we were sharing an office together because I was um, I was I started as the copy editor on WWF magazine, and you were already a staff writer, and you were sharing your office with the distinguished Mister Robert Bledsoe, who I will eventually get on here as a guest, and then when he left. I moved into your office and I became a staff writer with you. That is correct, Brian. One of one, one of the one of the the few things that's probably accurate in wrestling history, but that that <laughs> is true. So we were talking before we started recording this. Actually, when I mentioned to you what the name of the show was, "Shut Up and Wrestle," you immediately remembered. I'm glad you did because sometimes people are like, "Why do you call the show that?" You know, did you rip that title off of something or whatever? But it comes from a column that I wrote for WWE.com that I guess, I don't know, almost got me fired, should have got me fired. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if, if anybody even noticed it, to tell you the truth. Oh, people noticed it. People people in, inside noticed it. But it's it's the whole blurred line between a website and a magazine. Is it is it like a piece of, quote, journalism or is it a po place for commentary or is it just uh, uh, a marketing mechanism? But at the time, do you remember, it was because the show was going through some troubles um, and there was a lot of talk and there wasn't much wrestling and they were struggling for answers. And uh, you basically called out uh, everyone from Vince McMahon on down saying, you know, the show stinks and do this. And, you know, you never know how a boss is going to take that, right? So. Right, but, but see, you can... You can back me up on this. I'm not crazy because I told the story before, and I think you were there. You were in the room. Shane called us into the fishbowl, the conference room, and he was pumping us up about how we were going to be doing these online columns on WWF.com or WWE, whatever it was at that point. And he said to us, like, you guys, I remember him saying, I consider all of you talent. You're all talent. And I want you to really be kind of like pushing the envelope and and really trying to say provocative things like so that's what gave me the idea to do it. I was like, you really want me to do that? OK, well, I'm going to write a column about how there's we don't need to start every show with a 20 minute Triple H promo and it's boring and there should be more wrestling and less talking on the show. So that's why I did it. I didn't just wake up one morning and decide I'm going to write this column that is going to potentially get me fired. Well, well, Sh Shane is a great guy. I, I really like Shane. And a similar thing happened with me, which maybe we'll get into later.
But he basically, I was going in to talk to the TV folks about their show. Um, and right before I walked in there and there was Heyman and the other writers there and some of the dot-com boys who had gone over there who were holier than thou at the time. Um, I, before I walk in, Shane's like, just be honest with them. <laughs> oh, that was bad advice. <laughs> I basically went in there. This was the whole Brock story um, that's, that sort of has a life of its own. Remember, Brock was going to be, this was light years ahead of the time. You, you can ask me about it later if you want the whole the whole turning Brock. Um, but they kept asking me questions about Triple H and the show, and I basically said the same thing. And Stephanie called me two days later and said, well, I really want you over here, but uh, my team doesn't like you. <laughs> so she she wanted to bring you over to TV, right? Uh, creative? Oh, you want to hear the story? Yeah, why not? But before you get into that, though, I just want to clarify because people may not know, because I don't think I've ever mentioned it on here before, although about five or six years ago, it hit the wrestling news cycle again because I happened to mention it to Dave Meltzer just in passing. We were talking about something else, and I think I had emailed him something. The whole idea that we had had years ago was really yours and your friend's idea of making Brock Lesnar's character gay. Right. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, but it was making him gay, but not like in the Billy and Chuck, like the stereotypical right. way. He was going to be the same, but just be gay and beat the crap out of everybody. Right. That's what we wanted to do. We were yeah. talking about. Right. We were talking about like he wasn't going to be a stereotype. He wasn't going to be gold dust. He wasn't going to be super effeminate. He was still going to be the same Brock Lesnar. And he was based and, and and in fact, I think we even decided and this was because it was a long time ago, culturally, that we didn't even want to show him like he wouldn't have a boyfriend or anything. There would be no relationship. It would just be this giant killing machine just happens to be gay. And he would get on the mic and say it at some point, you know, by the way, I'm gay and just throw the mic down. And but he would be the baby face. Right. And so so basically the fans would be in the position then of like the people that would that would call him out or maybe say homophobic things or be, be his, his uh, enemies would be the heels. So we thought this was like a revolutionary thing because it was with the opposite of what was usually done in wrestling. And of course they took it right. And they, and it kind of became Billy and Chuck, didn't it? I mean, unofficially. No, no Billy and Chuck was, was a little bit, I think it was going on. or was a little bit before that. But but you remember that's 2004. That's right. long time before gay marriage. That's and it was in the dark age. It would have put WWE at the at the vanguard. And Stephanie loved the idea. Now this whole idea, the genesis of the whole idea. I don't know if you remember. Also, a lot of time we had free time when you work at the the magazine. Um, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> None. You had a slave driver, but but you have some free time. That we did, and again, if you want to talk about it later, but we did, we were trying to come up with an algorithm of what made characters, I don't know if you remember this, what made characters successful. And we were coming up and, and we were looking back through history um, and we would, we ended up having this, like, they were either, they had a charismatic component, they had a social component, um, and then there was some technology thing going on. And we actually discovered, like, who actually moved the needle. So you had, like, an Austin and a Hogan who were who were social creatures, right? U.S. versus uh, America or Iran or what's Austin's basically class warfare versus a charismatic like a flair or a rock who's great, but never sort of revolutionized. So we wanted to do something on the social end. There's actually Dr. Jacob Zaner, a mm. eminent psychiatrist from Germany. Some people claim he's a history teacher in suburban D.C., <laughs> 
he actually goes, why don't you turn Brock gay? We're just having kick ass. It's like, bingo, it man said. We, I sent this whole thing to Stephanie. She loved it. And she wanted it to come over. But it wasn't actually to write. It was they, they were looking for quality control. The show was out of they had they weren't keeping track of the storylines at all. Remember, Austin was upset with everything. And there were all these right. stressful meetings. And Triple H was literally on the show like 50 minutes of, of every hour. Um <laughs> But I remember you, you know, because obviously this idea went nowhere because we were, mm. I remember we were, I remember exactly what you're talking about. You were standing in front of an eraser board with yeah. a marker, like literally mapping this diagram out of exactly what you're talking about of the different peak periods of wrestling. Like, okay, it was big in the twenties. It was big in the fifties. It was big in the eighties, you know, what made it big. And we're, we were doing all this, but didn't you say that when, cause I'm t- the fact that, I mean, it came to nothing, but didn't you say that he- now Heyman was in the meeting when you pitched this and wasn't he just like, what the hell are you no, no, talking no. about? The, 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 so for, for folks outside the business, and these may all be fine people who were in the writing room and I'd have no idea what it's like now. These people had an attitude towards people who weren't writers, right? I don't know right. what Stephanie had told them because Stephanie is the one who brought who had uh, brought me over and I didn't think I was coming in as a writer or anything. They didn't really like us anyway. I, that's my impression. No, um, they so, felt like we were being forced on them. That was, the yeah. Problem. Yeah. We were being forced on them because they were straight. It's not an easy thing to do what they were doing. No. So, so I walk in and, 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 and they just sort of start, first they start asking me, how late can you stay up at night? I don't know. <laughs> like, like, can you work from three to five in the morning? I'm usually sleeping. I, I had nothing in the right after a show like that. And then they started going through everybody on the roster with me. What's your idea? Oh, you want to turn him gay? Oh, why don't you turn him gay? Oh, why don't you turn him gay? Why don't you turn him? And they were just basically attacking me. Then they asked me about Triple H, and I was like, Shane in my head. Ah, he's overexposed. It's just too much. Well, that. I didn't know what was going on with Triple H and the power plays and stuff like that. Right. Um, so uh, so so that was that. So they basically attacked me. Stephanie actually had me write up a show. She had sent me and says the NWO is coming back, write up a show. So I wrote one up. I thought it was pretty good, you know, whatever. And so she must have showed that to them. They didn't like me. As it's not a good culture fit, whatever. But they basically, yeah, just asked me, you going to turn him good? You want to turn him good? What? <laughs> like, I don't know. What's going on? How late can you stay up? And that's yeah. when Stephanie was like, I really want to bring you here, but I can't. I can't do it because, oh, you know, I didn't know it it got that far that she, first of all, I didn't even know. I don't, I, maybe I did know. And I just forgot. This was all so long ago that she was all about it. I didn't know that, but I mean, to be clear on this, and I'm sure that you pitched it this way too. It's like we, and, and nowadays you, you could clearly see what we were trying to do. I mean, we wanted something very positive to kind of go against what wrestling had always done with gay characters. We wanted it to be very positive and very affirming. And, you know, and and we were hoping it would get us a lot of press and it would yeah, get us a lot press. of positive press, not negative, and to, to make us look very progressive. Of course, if we tried it now, the one the one bump in the road we'd come across is probably the fact that Brock Lesnar is not actually gay. And and the, people might have an issue with that, but but that aside, um, it it was really meant to be something very positive for the company. Yeah, it was funny. Well, you know, and and 
I had told, we had gone to, uh, to Iraq before the meeting with Stephanie. This was the first trip. This was before they did tribute to the troops. So right. that whole idea was Bradshaw's idea. But bef before they ever did that, I was on a trip with Bradshaw, Ron Simmons, Terry, and I think it was Ivory. And we went to visit the troops. Saddam Hussein hadn't been caught yet. Um, we were supposed to go into Iraq. We didn't. We stayed in Kuwait. And it's very bizarre. You're sitting on the bus with the wrestlers and the Redskinette cheerleaders in the middle of a war zone. Like, what the hell is going how on? Did I, how did I yeah, get here? I told Bradshaw <laughs> about the idea and he just started laughing his 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 tail off. Um, and he was just like, I would pay money just to see you try and tell Brock that. <laughs> you know, like did that's going to to be your character. But I'll say one thing about Brock is, you know, and, and you probably had this experience too, is that some wrestlers, you know, have a, like an image, whatever, but the, to, 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 in the one-on-one -on -one interactions, they can be very friendly. Other people can be, seem very friendly on TV and they're not, but Brock, but was one of the few guys in my tenure there who would actually call us up and thank us for writing stories about him, especially the fictional ones. Yeah. Like, ones and i like i like i like that stuff better anyways but he was pretty he was very cool about that but but bradshaw uh was just laughing but it was bradshaw we're sitting in the bus he goes i'm gonna tell vince we got to do matches here you know i'm sure like in the history of wwe it's the credit goes to the top but the credit goes to bradshaw that was all his idea to start yeah you know, I think that they actually do let him have the credit for that because it's oh, been mentioned before. He's even mentioned it, I think, on TV. I'm, I, I, I know I've heard him talk about it, or maybe on his podcast or something about how it was his idea. So it's, I'm glad to hear you confirm that because that's something that he's claimed. I just didn't know if it was, you know. No, that's an, an, another real wrestling fact. You know, there aren't there aren't many right. here. I'll say one last thing about the that the, the whole thing with the algorithm and stuff we were doing. There was a rumor that Vince had done the same thing in the early '70s when he was trying to figure out what characters had worked. And I think Stephanie told me that, and I think that's why she kind of. Uh, she kind of liked it. And um, I don't know whether it's true or not. And, and he did that. But it was all about uh, character generation. Because when I first interviewed Vince, when I was doing my studies, um, that's all we talked about for like an hour was how the characters are developed. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to bring it up. Uh, and And I'm sure people do not know this, but the way that you wound up working for the WWF at the time was because of the doctoral dissertation that you were working on, right? It was like an anthro wasn't it an anthropological study or something. And you were interviewing Vince and other people and they wound up offering you a job writing on the magazine, right? Isn't that kind of how it, how it happened? Yeah. So it, in, in our crazy world, I guess you can get a PhD for watching wrestling, but that's basically <laughs> What, what what we did, but I mean, like, think about it at the time, or maybe that way still today, it's a bunch of grown men in their underwear pretending to fight and a lot of people come and yell and scream about it. So there's got to be something going on, right? Right. And it's all the clash of values and different things, right? Every character represents something as a classic medieval, right? Good versus evil uh, play going on. But yeah, so in, in the course of that, right, I was doing my studies. This was uh, in the boom years, right? Austin McMahon. Um, NWO, all, all the great stuff was going on, uh, DX. And uh, I was like, I got to talk to someone. I was at University of Florida. I go, I got to talk to somebody at, uh, at WWE. Yeah, and I had to get in contact with him. I wrote a letter to the editor of the magazine. I, 
I didn't know whether it would go proof, through. Proof that you didn't know how to reach out to contact anybody. Right, one, but one, I, you... I knew I knew if you try and write to like Vince McMahon, you never he's not going to respond to some student somewhere. So, so who would you write Art, to exactly, Russo? Uh, the letters to the editor. I just saw it there. I write a quick letter. I say what I'm doing. I got a call back in five minutes from our friend Laura. Laura ah. was Vince Russo's assistant who was handling the like the letters at the magazine she later ran the magazines um she was an anthropology major she loved it she's like you got to come up here because i thought i was I, I was actually asking to talk to russo thank god i didn't because he would have just like kicked me out of the room she yeah. puts me in touch with the cmo who was a nice guy named jim Byrne, and jim Byrne is like i'm gonna get you an interview with vince mcmahon so they got me an interview with vince mcmahon um, you know, they said, we'll give you an hour on this date. I come up from, I was living in DC at the time, finishing up my work. I come up and, uh, yeah. And Stephanie was in the little kitchen outside his office. This was before she was the billion dollar princess and stuff like that. And she's like, Oh, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. And, uh, I guess maybe she thought I was going to give him good press or something. She's like, yeah, any good news. Cause they were getting a lot of heat back then for all attitude era. And, uh, and yeah, and he comes walking in and he just talked for an hour straight, you know, but it, it was weird meeting him because I had just seen him on TV. I grew up in the 70s watching in D.C., you know, where he would do those interviews from the shows in Pennsylvania, but, you know, that big, deep voice and the big chest, <laughs> <laughs> an anthropologist. And he was telling me about his like his childhood and how he could identify with characters like Austin and stuff like that. So and then Laura called me back like two months later, says, can you come up? We got an opening in the magazine. Do you want to work here? I'm like, uh, okay, how can I write? Like when you got it, right? How can you turn it down? I come up. I talked to our boss, BW, for about 20 minutes about college football. He loved college football. That and, sealed the uh, deal. <laughs> that sealed the deal. I, I walked, I, they took me right down to HR and they, they said, here, you, when can you start? So, um, so that was that. So that's how I got in. So if you do your studies and you do your homework, you may end up, uh, in the wrestling world, <laughs> a Crazy. staff writer for WWF magazine. Yeah, and I had to go through a lot more hell to get in. I mean, I I interviewed three different times, so I was commuting from Brooklyn at the time to go to Stanford every time. And 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 actually, because they were looking for a copy editor initially for creative services, it wasn't even publications, and they wound up giving it to Liz McCollum. She got the job. And then the reason they brought me back is that she needed help. That's the only reason I got in. They were like, well, she can't do it all by herself because Barry, who was running the magazines and Debbie Bonanzio, who was running creative services, they were doing like tug of war, you know, with the, with the copy editor. So they needed a second copy editor. Otherwise they, you know, and, and that's why they brought me in. That well, was my end. If you, if you would have seen the quality of the writing, it needed a lot of copy <laughs> editing what was going on. Our other boss was usually taking a nap and asleep the whole time. Uh, well, we we came in though in the wake of Vince Russo leaving, so it was yeah. like kind of tumultuous. Like there was all new people starting. Mike Fazioli was new. Um, Robert Bledsoe yeah. was new. Fazioli's a, a good success story. A pizza delivery guy who ends up being semi-respected in his field after a few <laughs> years. So, uh, and you kind of Faz, I heard you had him on the show. I, I did. I, 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 I had he told him. some truth. I think, well, we, we got into his famous um, farewell party where he, he was doing all the Lord Alfred Hayes and Jim Ross impressions and everybody was dying. Do you remember that? He was like, 
J- JR was commentating a bowel movement and all that stuff. <laughs> Maybe you was don't that, remember. Was that was that his goodbye party or yes. just like a like, like our daily meeting at the office? That's true. That would that would happen pretty much anywhere, but that we were there. Yeah. But but yeah, so like it was you and you and Rob, but I mean you technically you kind of took the place of Luigi and Frito sort of, didn't you? Cuz he had been yeah. fired not long before you started. He was he was the one who left and then and then and then I came in and then our boss BW wanted to do this uh remember this article it was called face to face but it was basically good bike bad guy this is why I became this is why I became well I became Aaron Williams for two reasons one is because my last name is very long and it's just hard to pronounce just Williams is easy and two was because I played the heel and right. if you remember the letters, you talked about opening the the, the letters uh, up until uh, 9-11. Then you stopped opening the letter. Remember the anthrax scare? We couldn't open the letters anymore. <laughs> That's but, right. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, but, you're right. But, but the letter, we, you would get like vicious hate meal because I would take the the position of, I was the heel, right? Laura was, was the baby face. And there would be a lot of actual uh, hate mail. I didn't want anybody, you know, with... Uh, you know, going after my real name or something like that. Right, right. And, and of course, I chose Williams. It's not my middle name, as you thought, uh, Brian. It's uh, in honor of Frank Williams, one of my uh, one of my favorite wrestlers growing up. So uh, from Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, Columbus, Ohio. Never won a match, but he tried hard. <laughs> he always tries his best. I try my best. I never won a match. But uh, but yeah, but but it was it was because uh, we would get. The male, you would be like, who are these people? But they were they were very into it. Um, it was all yeah. fiction, but, you know, I couldn't believe how much mail we got on a daily basis. I mean, you know, this was also the early 2000s. And I remember there were some people because I did it for a while and I just had to stop. I felt so bad. I don't know if there's anybody that was writing fan mail to WWE magazine, but it got to the point where nobody could read it. We just had to start getting rid of it. It was just too much. But I remember people that would write credit card bills, right? You just took them and threw them in the trash. I wish (laughs) people would write and, or draw pictures and things every day. The same people. Remember the guy who would draw pictures of Kane every day. Yeah. And and he was doing all these different things. Like he was fighting the undertaker or burying somebody or like Katie Vick or whatever. And I mean, I think I was there for seven years and I really think this guy sent in a drawing every day. But there were people like that that did that. And and yet going through all that, it was still some months impossible to put together enough letters to have a letters to the editor page. And we had a we had to work some of them. Well, you would also right? wouldn't we? I mean, and here's the thing. I mean, it was WWE magazine. The whole thing's a work. So, yes. so but you, you would also work um, to to give certain people if nobody sent the letter in it about an article about a certain wrestler, you put a letter in about them so they don't feel bad. Right. Or right. Something like that. But the whole thing was a. Uh, the whole thing was was a uh, was was a work. So uh, were you were you there when we put the hurricane on the cover and then they just buried him on TV when it came out? Do you remember that? Now, once I I, I won. I won we thought, the- hey, we want to help this guy out. We really like this character. It's really cool. Let's put him on the cover. We'll do like a Clark Kent thing. He's opening his shirt, and then as soon as it comes out, it was almost like despite us, they just started beating him on TV. 
How late was that? I remember I, I actually did an interview with Hurricane. I was a little tipsy at Mohegan Sun. And I'm interviewing this guy about like superheroes and Batman. And I'm like, this is the weirdest thing ever. Because I don't know if your listeners know this, but but when you had a WWE magazine, it was fiction. So you would actually have to tell the wrestler, you're like, this is in character, right? We would yes. say, right. so do this in character. And some of them were really good at it. Some of them, their characters were themselves and other of them were like, Lord knows what you would get out of it. Right. I don't yeah. know why in the past, I think the, the magazine just made it up and it was sometimes, fine. but sometimes, sometimes we had to go through the uh, wrestlers. Oh, and we screwed up their quotes. They would get mad. And uh, I remember some of them telling me to just make it up and just maybe let them have a look at it and see if they approved it or whatever but i mean some of them some of them were just not comfortable being in character so it was it would be kind of uh like getting blood from a stone but but some of them some of them could do it you know yeah it was just it was just a, a weird thing but but some of them including the 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 great stone cold um even WWE magazine, when you would write an article and it wasn't to his liking. Oh, hmm. did you ever hear that story? What happened? Yeah. You know, um, Faz brought it up when I had him on and talked a little bit about it, how you and I and to tell you the truth, what was crazy is I had almost forgotten that that even happened. And he reminded me of the whole thing when I was taking the rock side. Right. No, no. You were taking the rock side. I was taking Austin's side, right? And you got, and you took heat for it. And it was just a worked article in the magazine. Yeah. Yeah, it, that, that, that's what it was. But here's like some of the people at, at, at W at, who were working there at the time. So our boss had a great idea. Rock was, they, they were the two hottest things going. And I would write an article in the Rock's voice about why uh, he should be, carrying the company and i guess you were right in austin who was you know why he should carry the company we were supposedly we wrote these and i guess i was okay about getting under people's skin but these were supposed to be cleared by talent relations a right. good a good friend special k who was supposed to have read these things and cleared it with us in the wrestlers of course he didn't he didn't even look at it or he looked at it and thought oh they're going to get a lot of heat for this let's let's let it run i think that's way more likely cuz he was also um, gleefully i i could say kevin kelly he's my friend he knows this i remember when i wrote shut up and wrestle the column he and Dr. Tom on Bite This were just having a field day, making sure that it, that everyone knew about this column, even if they didn't already. So I think that's very possible because Kevin liked to have some fun with the magazine writers for sure. <laughs> yeah, I have a good talk. To, uh, not a good. I have a decent Dr. Tom story later if you want it. Um, but yeah, so we wrote this thing and we're at the office and all of a sudden um we had this big office there, but but Laura's like um, she got in our office and there's Stone Cone called and wanted to speak to someone at the magazine. And so Austin is irate. He's on the phone. So Laura, who was my boss and B-Dub, who was the boss boss, are like sitting in sitting in the room and Austin's just screaming his head off. Right. And they start like motioning with their hands for me to talk. So I started talking just to say, sorry, Steve, you know, it's just it's just to actually rally your uh, your fans around you and and things like that. And he goes off for five minutes about 
don't give me the psychology bullshit, all this kind of stuff. Yo, I'm going to Vince McMahon. You're going to be fired. I turn around to like look at Barry and Laura for support. They're not in the room. They ran. <laughs> they ran out of the room. Oh my god! I'm standing there and I'm like thinking in my head, well, where's that talent relations? Whatever. I was a little bit naive. Whatever. Austin's like he was swearing up and down. Vince is telling Vince, I'm going to get fired. Um, and then he just throw, hangs down the phone. The next day, they were at Nassau Coliseum. We had to go out there. Kevin Kelly, of course, comes right up to me. He goes, Austin wants to see you. But he's, I, I think I was there. I remember. Okay. I think I remember this. He, yeah. But he's in the uh, he's in like the health room. He was getting a massage. He was getting worked on. You know, he was banged up, whatever. I'm sure he didn't because I never saw him there or anything like that. But it was very uncomfortable. And uh, I never saw Austin maybe two, three years later. I went down. He was doing a book signing in San Antonio at a Walmart. Um, he never said anything. He probably didn't even remember or anything like that. Right. But, uh, I just remember turning around and seeing my my bosses flee the room. I'm like, where is he? <laughs> I but, think they believed they believed this was like a worked article. Right. They they were very, very conscious because they maybe we took it too lightly and it's their profession. So you guess you can kind of understand they were very protective of how they were portrayed. Right. Very. But I th I think if I remember right, though, with the timing of it, because I don't know. I mean, Austin, the, he he doesn't really have a reputation for being like that. That's the thing. So, some guys do. And and I think like I remember Jericho getting pissed off that we had him lose in fantasy warfare. <laughs> We had to have, we can't have, you know, Fantasy Warfare in Raw Magazine was where you have an old wrestler fighting a current wrestler, right? Fantasy match. And we're doing this and we're going, we can't have the, the current guy win every time. Like, it's boring. It's predictable. Once in a while, the old guy's got to go over and we figure out a way to do it. And we had Jericho lose to Ricky Steamboat and he got upset and called Shane and all this. But to get back to, to Austin, though, I think at the time, Timing wise, it was right at the time of the whole like blow up with Brock where he quit the company for a while. Right. Wasn't he feeling really insecure? I think that was part of it. I he think felt I th I th it definitely was. This was the time when Rock was was ascending. Now, this was this was early 2000. I I thought it was when they were wrestling each other at WrestleMania in 2003. No. No, it's I think got, it was like earlier, wasn't we it were on the second floor in that big office. It's got to oh, be. Oh, OK. That. All right. Then this I'm, was right. this was Laura was there. This was the second floor office. Okay. So then but still, I mean, like I've even seen him in some of these documentaries they have now where he actually will talk about how back then he was very nervous about the rock kind of like coming up from behind and taking his spot so he was well, obviously it, was, <laughs> it probably was a sore spot and you just like put the needle right in <laughs> well there's that, well some of the wrestlers you didn't realize you know didn't get along remember it was uh we were doing a lot of stuff for the rock and it was like the rock's birthday or the rock did something and and our boss had had all the writers uh call other other wrestlers to get quotes about how great the rock is our friend robert had to call uh triple h <laughs> Oh no! And right. those two apparently didn't get along. That yeah, was great. And Hunt and Triple H is on the other line. What do you want to know? I don't know Dwayne Johnson. You want to quote about Dwayne Johnson? What the fuck do you want about Dwayne Johnson? Right? Didn't he say, uh, "I don't really know Dwayne Johnson. I had dinner with him once." Right? Wasn't yeah, that the line? Yeah, I had yeah. dinner with him once. But here's the thing: I first got wind 
is now I believe and from what I understand, I think one of the reasons other than huge success in Hollywood, but one of the reasons that the rock prematurely left and was very eager to jump at the Hollywood opportunity is that there was a political kind of battle with triple H because basically when, when Austin went out, when he was out of commission and it was that whole rock triple H thing that triple H was starting to really kind of play the politics game and rock started to feel like he was going to get sort of like marginalized. And there was a little bit of like a pissing contest going on because, and I think that might've been one of his motivations for leaving I remember when he wrote uh, – uh, there was an article that appeared in WWF magazine when Laura Bryson was still the editor, and it was something – it was first person by The Rock or something talking about like going to Hollywood or something like that. And there was this very cryptic line in there where he – it it was a very veiled reference to what I thought was Triple H and somebody like basically putting a knife in your back and looking out for – people that you know are gonna like turn on you and or you know toxic people this that and the other thing and and it was a sort of jab and i remember i was the copy editor i took it out because i thought it was very i I just i didn't want the article to go there it just was a little too real and i remember laura showed it to him which i didn't think was going to happen that he was going to have approval on it meaning rock and he specifically said why did you take that out like that's the most important part i want that in there put that back in there and that's when i first started getting and we did and i first started going oh i don't i think these guys hate each other i didn't realize this well it's it's a it's it's a very weird business right because it's not like a team sport or even i'm sure it probably happens in hollywood but even a a a show everybody you know a rising tide lifts all boats it's that to a degree, but it's also a zero sum game. Only one person can be up higher on the card, right? So you can be friends, but you know, you're also rivals too, right? Right. And so it's uh it's just a very strange business uh business setup that leads to and the whole history of it, right, is just all carny and backstabbing and 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 falsehoods and uh right and, and all that stuff. So it's 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 a weird mix of Disney type 21st century entertainment and 19th century carny mixed together. Right. And sometimes different things pop up, but it's a, it's a real hybrid. Right. Well, don't you remember how, I think this was the both of us that it happened to, because we started going to TV together or maybe it was me and Callie, but we were starting to go to TV together at roughly the same time. And our attitude was in the beginning, we knew nothing about locker room etiquette was stay out of everybody's way. Keep your head down. Just we're nobodies. They don't want to know from us. Just mind your business. Don't talk to anybody you don't need to talk to. Just just keep quiet and keep out of sight. And the word that started going around is who the hell do these magazine guys think they are? They're not shaking anybody's hand. They're not introducing themselves to anybody. They must be very arrogant or think that there's something. And word got back to Barry and then Barry brought us in i i think it was me and you or it was me and somebody and said you have to introduce yourself to everybody you have to shake everybody's hand and we're going why do they want to know who we are we're nobody and and it all goes back to that whole thing of nobody could trust anybody right but even you literally 
you literally the nonsense i mean not nonsense but the the custom you would see someone shake their hand two minutes later you see him you shake your hand and sometimes it, it, it it became absurd but i don't know if it was if this was the same for you there were also certain wrestlers that that I think different ones of us got along with. So Faz was a rock and an Austin guy. Most people got along with Faz. He's very easy to get along with. I would get along with guys who are closer to my age, right? The Bradshaws, the Simmons, the Sean, you know, Nash, Undertaker, guys like that. ECW guys hated me. I mean, it, you could almost feel the tension, right? There's a big culture clash and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Hardys were young, but if you can't get along with the Hardys, you can't get along with anybody. Right. Um, and you probably felt that too. So there were some people you could be very friendly with and you would go out, uh, you know, drinking with and others didn't want you within, you know, a hundred yards of them. So well, I had flair, which wound up being like a, a blessing and a curse where <laughs> I was like, how did I wind up being the, for as brief as it was, but how did I wind up being the drinking buddy of Ric Flair? It was just, uh, it was, it was like this weird moment where, oh, you want to hang out with Ric Flair, right? He's your favorite and he's the nature boy. Well, we're going to give you your chance to do it. Like the universe just, just kind of uh, uh, making me learn my lesson but, that maybe it's not funny? what I wanted. Isn't it funny? Because it must happen to 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 them a lot of times because they've been around so long. But some of those guys who were the biggest stars, like Flair, you meet him, you probably let's go get a drink. Nash, Hogan, let's just go get a drink. You know, Nash loved you. I remember that, right? Nash yeah, loved well, you. Nash. Nash was great. Yeah, I, I'll tell you a two second funny story on uh, when the NWO was coming back. Um, it was a surprise. And we went out there. We had this feature called 48 Hours in Raw Magazine where you'd follow pe uh, someone around. 72, hours. 72 hours. 72, sorry. That 72. was a I know the piece you're talking about. That was a great piece. That was really cool. Well, it was very interesting. It was tense because the people, I don't believe many people knew that they were coming, right? Like the wrestlers didn't, weren't sure. And the wrestlers drive up in their cars. But anyways, we went out and met. It was in Chicago. We met him, and they're going to 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 Milwaukee. They might it might have been the 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 Milwaukee show that started it all. And we had met them the night before. And of course, Nash is like, "Yeah, come on, I got bottles of wine in my room. We're drinking, and Hogan's drinking all this stuff." Hogan's like, "Just make sure we got beer in the car, anyways." So they had a limo that pulled up. All the other wrestlers were pissed when they saw him come out in the limo because it was it. <laughs> but we're driving after the show in Milwaukee to uh, to Chicago. It's freezing. Johnny Photo who hopefully we'll be on your show one day. Um, he had stocked the car with a case of Bud Lights. And all of a sudden, Hogan goes, pull over to the driver. He pulls over in some office park. All three of them get out, me and Johnny Photo. They just had to take a whiz in the parking lot. And Scott Hall turns to me and Johnny Photo, and he goes, doesn't matter how much money, how much money we make, we're still white trash. <laughs> That's awesome. Didn't he yeah, also three giants peeing in some corporate park parking Hulk, lot? Hulk Hogan, one of the most like famous pop culture figures of all time, not even just in wrestling. Right. It's amazing. But didn't didn't Hall also wasn't wasn't he the one who said to you, um, if you never want to leave high school, this is the perfect business to be in. Yeah, he, if you never want to leave junior high school, this junior is, high school, junior high school, this is the business one. There's only two things you can count on: the money and the miles, and 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 the travel. But those guys were those guys were great and friendly, and I don't, I, you know, yeah, but, uh, they were. And and I remember, yeah, 
Flair, I got along with well. I got along very well with Foley, but I mean, he's another one like anybody would get along with them. And actually, Austin, too. Austin and Foley were really interesting because those guys apparently just read the magazines constantly. And so they knew who we all were. It was really weird. The first time I met either of them, I'd already been there a couple of years and I was introduced to them like like Dr. Tom introduced me to Austin backstage at the garden and I ran into Foley at a photo shoot or something. And they both were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you are and shook my hand and started like asking me questions. And I'm just it's really jarring. Like you don't think for a second, like, how the hell do they know who I am? Oh, yeah, because they're reading the magazines every month. Yeah, they have a lot of time with sitting around the arenas all day, yeah. right? They they would uh, they would go uh, go grab them. But there was another connection I wanted to bring up too before we run out of time because I do I like to keep these to about an hour, like nice and bite sized But um, I wanted to mention because they just had um, A and E has been doing these biographies of WWE stars. I don't know if you've seen any of them, but they did one on Kurt Angle <clears throat> and it actually brought back a memory. And I was thinking, I'm going to be talking to Aaron. I got to bring this up because they talked about the Dr. Joe surgery that he had on his neck. And they went into detail about how like it wound up contributing. It, it wound up making his problems worse because he was trying to avoid basically what happened with Austin where they fused the, I'm not, I don't know if yeah. yeah, it was like an alternate thing where they shaved down the spinal the bulging disc or something like that. And didn't you have a similar surgery and, and you guys were, weren't you getting like, like medical advice from Kurt Angle for a little while? Do I remember this right? These are, these are the lengths you'll go to understand for a story, Brian. Yes. I went to Dr. Joe in Pittsburgh and I was there and Angle was there. I saw him the next day. He okay. would like had taken me around before. Angle was another guy. Very nice. I mean, I don't think people understand what a good athlete this guy was. He uh, oh, yeah. won the Olympics with a broken neck. I mean, he's he's just he's just absurd. Uh, but very very nice guy. And here, here's another thing too: is there was an epidemic in our office with bad necks. Okay, about the same time Edge had it, Angle had it. Um, this all has to be like carpal tunnel, like all mental, whatever. I got it right. I went to doctor. I, I went to a doctor here in Connecticut. Or in Connecticut, he says I need surgery. I don't want surgery. Let me go to Doctor Joe. Because Angle had been there. Angle tells me all about it. I went there. I had my surgery. Turns out Doctor Joe said, "Hey, you just had a little stuff in there. We cleaned up." Anyways, but Angle did help me. He and Craig Melvin, you know Craig, uh, photographer, yeah. really nice guy. We were doing a shoot in Pittsburgh that next day. I was probably all hyped up on on Vicodin. But Kurt told me all about it, told me all about uh, by the hospital. You know, the next day, he took me all around Pittsburgh and things like that. So I actually had the same surgeon. I didn't take any bumps. My neck is fine now and my arm is fine. But yeah, I could understand all the craziness and, and physicality he was going through that, that it would hurt. But he did. Brawler had it, too. And backstage, Brawler called me weak because I wasn't like at a show the next day. But. Hey, Williams, he's weak. He's weak. He's weak. I understand why those guys were all needing it, but wh why did you? I mean, what what happened? What what I had I had uh, I had pain down my arm, and okay. it was excruciating pain. And the pain down your arm, it emanates in your in your spinal cord because the nerves go there. It's it's a ref you feel the pain in your arm, but it was numb. It was very painful. 
I believe it was just sort of like, must have been like stress that was just going there. They took an MRI. They, they said there was something going on with the disc. Um, but I had it. Marco, another friend of ours, had it. He had uh, the Dr. Joe too. I knew he had neck problems. I didn't he know. Went he went to Dr. Joe too. Yeah. Wow. He went to that. So we went to, but, but Kurt was great. He actually did take medical, medical advice from, uh, from, from Kurt and he, he played nurse for a day for me too. So. I remember him even calling either you called him or he called you even at the office. Like he was checking in yeah, on how you were doing. I mean, some of these guys are really, really nice guys you know he was just a uh he was just a really he was nice guy i remember we both had our daughters at around the same time and we used to always talk all the time about you know being excited to be become a dad because it was my first child his first child and they were both girls and we used to talk all the time of course one of the things and i know you were there till 2004 not kind of I'm not sure where he was at by that point, but he he was in very bad shape. You probably remember that like he it affected him as a person like he became not that he became like a jerk or anything, but but he was having so many issues with his health and with then his dependency on the painkillers, which is all a big public, you know, it's public knowledge now. But I mean, it changed him. It was kind of scary to be around him in later years. He was not the same anymore. Well, the business is surrounded right by a, a a veil of paranoia to begin with. You get hit on the head. Now we know. Remember when we started working there, nobody quite knew why all these wrestlers were killing themselves and things like that and hooked on painkillers. Now we know their brains right were scrambled and CTE is probably maybe I don't know, maybe yeah. that. But I know he did have some issues later, but he was a super, super nice guy. He was. I also, Cena was another one. In fact, I just wrote a column because they just had the 20th anniversary of Cena starting with the company, basically, or on TV at least. And I was around him a lot when he was just coming up and he was barely known or he was just when he was with B squared and he was, he was, doing... <laughs> it, it, it was a rapper. He, he called right. a magazine once too. Cause we were, I wrote some over the top article about who he was hanging out with. He's like, dude, you can't do that because these guys will come like shoot me or something, you know? Yeah. He so was he very was... into the hip hop culture. That was a shoot. Like he would get very nervous about it. I remember that we did a photo shoot with him and method man, the, the yeah. rapper. And he was so worried that he was going to come across as being like phony or a poser or something and, and not authentic because he was such a fan, you know, for real. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, yeah, a lot of them, a lot of them have reputation. Sean was the nicest guy in the world. Sean Michaels, you know, and I don't know, you know, his reputation outside, but, but, uh, yeah, I think by the time we were there, he had kind of really cleaned himself up and he wasn't really the same. Cause if you talk to people who worked there in the nineties, I think they might have a little different story of dealing with him. He just had, he had a very bad reputation back then, but he, he did, he kind of really straightened himself out a lot. I mean, I don't know, maybe Tom Buchanan or Keith Greenberg might have 
different stories about him, but, but yeah, I, I was always fine with him. In fact, when I used to have to interact with him, cause he was always, him and triple H were constantly together all the time. Mm-hmm. They would do like this good cop, bad cop thing where triple H would be annoyed. And I don't know how much it was an act or whatever. It was an, it was, they would, they would, they had, it was an act. Sean would always be the one going, the guy's just trying to do his job, Hunter. He's just, you know, be nice to him. It would be the same routine that they would do. They did that, but, but, but but he was again gracious. You know, like when you when you go to the you spend a couple of days with him at his house, he was gracious. Guys like Undertaker, you wouldn't expect extremely gracious. Even though Woodside was down there in a hundred degree heat with a suit jacket on. <laughs> I um I remember that they they really kept us away from the Undertaker a lot. We weren't really allowed to do a lot with him and we couldn't interview him out of character and things like that. So I really had very, very little to do with him um i can only remember one significant interaction that i had with him and it just and it didn't have to do with a story i was just watching the monitor backstage and just and just all of a sudden i look over to my right and he's just and he's sitting next to me and he just strikes up a conversation you know just a normal you know hey what do you do here and oh i'm i'm mark okay how are you and oh would you like it here and you know he was just like a regular guy and that's the only interaction i ever had with him the whole time i was there yeah, he no, he was very kind. We went down to his ranch in Texas. Wow, look at you! Spent some time down. Me and Woodside did, and uh, and spent some time there. Uh, he, for these guys, you just had to find like some common. He liked Texas football, so I grew up watching Texas college football. So I could throw some names at him. He looked at me like you know I have four eyes, and he's, he's just laughing, you know. And he was fine, but you wouldn't expect it because he's just such a mysterious character, you know. Right, they would love it if you could talk about something other than wrestling. Yeah, because that's all they talked about all the time, right? So if you if you could tap into something that you knew that they were into, yeah, they would they would definitely open up. That was something that I that I found too with a lot of them. You just had to kind of figure out what it was, you know. Like, with <laughs> have you had have you had Keith on here yet? I did. I had I had Keith and I had Mike Faz. And uh, I'm trying to think. I think those are the only magazine people I've had. I had, I've had a, f- a couple of other employees, but um, they're the only. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, but Keith, Keith was great. You know, Keith. Keith has the best stories. Yeah, the best. He, he had. You know, Keith wrote so many books. I don't know if. Well, I, my favorite. Well, besides your books, of course, my my favorite <laughs> wrestling. My favorite wrestling books are. Uh, are uh, Fall Guys, which is just the best probably book ever. Um, and his book on superstar Billy Graham, which I don't think sold that well, which is like the most right. fascinating read and one of the most fascinating characters. Um, just. Uh, yeah, that was a good one. I, his Blassie one was I really loved, too. I thought I, you love Fred Blassie. You have most of Fred Blassie's clothes, don't you? <laughs> I do, yeah. We we have to kayfabe that a little bit because I don't know how much of that I'm supposed to actually have. There are things that I walked out of that place with, let's just say, that uh, I don't know uh, what the... There's a, there's a lot of things that people... They would leave stuff in the hallways, right? Yes. Like old posters and like the Liberace stuff and all this other old merch that they would just leave or they were going to throw out, I think. I don't know I, what to do with it. Do you remember how I that I wound up with a, a pair of the million dollar man's breakaway pants? Do you remember? 
I still have it in my storage closet right over here. I got that and I got a pair of what I thought were based on the color schemes, the knee pads of the model Rick Martel because it had that like hot pink kind of color scheme that he would wear. But but it was from one of those. Right. You're right. They would just open a closet would open and they would start clearing things out and you'd look in there and it was like you got to be kidding me like you mentioned Liberace I remember one time you might have seen this too it was when we were still on the second floor they open up this supply closet I peer inside while they're doing whatever they're doing in the corner with junk piled all over it is this gigantic rectangular framed portrait of Liberace at his piano with the candelabra and everything and it's signed and it says to Vince and Linda, thanks for everything. Love Lee. And it's just buried in a closet in Stanford, Connecticut. Just mind blowing. Yeah, they have a, a ton of stuff there. Right. So, some people made out with some stuff probably over the years, but oh yeah. I have oh, I oh have and, and and the other thing about the magazines too, I just before this ends, I have to plug if if any of your listeners have old magazines, it would be a 2004 article from the informer called reactionary transgression. Do you remember that? It's the yes. only, I believe in the history of all the magazines, <laughs> it's the only quote unquote article that is fully written by a letter in from, from a, from a fan or a reader. There was not one thing that was touched on it and the whole page was react. I wish I had that. I was we thinking- were losing our minds with that letter. I remember us, reading it out loud to each other just yeah. uh, just like doing dramatic readings of the letter <laughs> before we used it as an informer column reactionary transgressions i believe was the uh the name of it if you find it let me know cause... it was a reactionary transgression because i remember it was right around the time when they had started talking about ruthless aggression <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was like down with ruthless aggression up with reactionary transgression <laughs> it's, a, it's the most bizarre thing ever but and of course that yeah go on i was gonna say and that's saying a lot in uh in this world right it was very strange and actually it, it does bring me to probably i guess the last thing that i had to mention um and by the way we will have to do this again because this is just scratching the surface this is ridiculous but i i've <laughs> this should be a two-parter but the fact that I'm going to once and for all make mention here that I'm not saying I'm not saying that Aaron Williams was always the informer. I can't be entirely sure who the different informers have been. Some have very commonly speculated that it was Vince Russo, but of course, Vince Russo was not there when we were working there. So for a time, um, supposedly allegedly aaron williams did take on the mantle of the informer well i'm not going to confirm that i won't deny that but again if any of your readers have old magazines i would say look towards the cafeteria it seems there was always a report that x-pac was having food fights in the cafeteria so some people think it was me I have a suspicion it was someone who worked in the cafeteria who could overhear things, but I could be wrong. So I'll uh, I'll leave it at that. Kevin but, Kelly did do it for a week or two, I believe. He probably did it well, well, because it started in that era where 
I think Vince Russo was basically just writing the entire magazine from beginning to end and using all these different names, you know, and and uh, like Vic Venom and all that kind of thing. And and uh, yeah, I think actually I even think maybe when Russo was still there, it might have been Kevin Kelly for a while because Russo was very busy with other things. And I know Kevin helped him on the magazine a lot. Kevin and Dennis Brent were like Russo's magazine guys. But then, of course, and then, of course, later on, it it may or may not have been. Uh, Mike Chiapetta, our copy editor, and uh, I don't think I ever did it. I think I'm the only person that never did it. Well, it's not, it's not, it's not for everyone. It takes a a lot of sources. Um, right. You know, it's it's uh, the TV guys hated it. Remember, they'd get all mad. Why is Xbox always having food fights? <laughs> Man, they really were reading it very closely then to be able to. Yeah, they hate, we'd, go, we'd have to go to meetings. Remember, Shane started bringing us into in, into meetings. All right, How last, could I forget? Last, How could last, I forget? Yeah. We, we, do you remember the meeting? We were going to put Gail Kim on the cover. Yes. We're, we're in the meeting. They were like, let's just put her on the cover. It's, it's Boo. She's a, she's a rising up and star. Well, all of a sudden, Vince McMahon walks in the room, right? Shane's there. They hug each other. Vince explains for like five minutes. Well, I don't think we should because of this and this and this. And then he looks at like our side of the table and just goes, wait, who are you guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who are you guys? And Barry is very nervous. is like fumbling over like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. He had been talking to us for 10 minutes about something. He said, who are you guys? Well, yeah, we, that we were in a tough spot. We, we were forced to go to those things. So when we were, under Shane that was really a Shane thing he would insist that the magazine people would have to sit in on TV writing meetings and we had a lot more exposure to Vince McMahon than we really needed to have and to you know Brian Gewertz and Michael Hayes and Dave Lagana and Paul Heyman and Kosky and all those people and uh yeah I mean sometimes I honestly didn't blame them I have to say, especially looking back on it now, because they must have just been like, why the hell do we have to keep talking to these guys for? You know, what does this have to do with what we're doing? And we were kind of shoved down their throat. I mean, that we were, was... and then we could only critique them. Right. And they're like, well, I don't want to listen to people critiquing what I have, you know. Right. But then they would have to they would be like dictating to us what we could and couldn't do. And remember for a while we were even well, you might not have been there anymore at this time. We were even bringing covers to them to look at, like before we would run a cover, like, you know, we would give them mock ups and things. And it just became so kind of micromanaged. And and like you said, we weren't really in the grand scheme of things that important and. Barry would be there and poor Barry would be, like you said, getting nervous and we're getting nervous because we're looking at him and he's nervous. And just sometimes I really thought it was a rib. It was like they were just trying to play to toy oh, with it us. It definitely was. They were just like, let's yeah. just play with these. They're being forced down our throat. Let's just, I mean, half the business is a rib, right? So of course they're yeah. going to, uh, that's our old, our old carny stuff, right? So. Yep. Boy, this is this is uh, I don't think I've ever laughed as hard doing one of these. So I have to thank you for that. I kind of feel like we're back in our office again. We didn't even we didn't even get to talk about all the divas trips. Oh, God. Yes, I know, because I actually had like a a brief, very little list of things (laughs) that I wanted to try to get to. I didn't get to that. But you're right, because I mean, in a nutshell, we, we will do another one. But I mean. You would get all these plum assignments. You would go on these diva shoots. Barry would send me to like TV in Buffalo and <laughs> Rochester. 
and like Detroit <laughs> and you're going to the Bahamas or wherever the hell they were doing it. I don't know. And hedonism and all these things. And I remember Barry even saying to me once, he's like, well, I don't like to send married guys on, on trips like that. You know, Aaron's single and, and, you know, and I'm going oh come on, just like, give me a break. Just give me one fun trip to go on. You know, we had, we had hedonism one and hedonism two and uh, strange places. And the first trip was right the election of Gore, Gore, uh, Bush. So everything was up in the air. The next year was right after 9-11. Every, it was just crazy times. And there was just, you went to these naked places. Uh, I'll have stories for you that, that uh, you know, whatever I, we can tell. I remember one thing you told me about it was that the only people at Hedonism are people you would never want to see at hedonism. <laughs> no offense to anybody listening who goes to hedonism. You never know who you're going to offend. But but I remember you trying to console me and say that, well, look, you really didn't, you didn't really miss a lot. It wasn't really that. that no, I, I don't think you would have craved to see the naked volleyball or the people sitting down naked eating their all-you-can-eat uh, breakfast. Um, but you talk about the... the, um, the 9-11 going there on these weird times and Gore getting elected. I remember I was back. Gore did not get elected. <laughs> oh, right, right. Gore not getting elected. Right. Yes, <laughs> but it was yes. up in the air. Nobody wink, knew. wink, nudge, nudge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember in 2004 on election night, it was Bush, right, for re-election against Kerry. I was at SmackDown TV in St. Louis in the Savas Center, and I'm sitting back there with the only person who gave a shit was Paul Heyman. Me and Paul Heyman watching the monitor as they're counting the votes and like because it's getting late into the night and determining who the president's going to be. I will never forget that. Just and just kind of sweating it out with with Paul Heyman in two thousand four. That was he, funny. He's a he's a good sweater, right? So. Yes, very <laughs> very sweaty man. Very true. He's embraced his baldness finally, but. Okay, so okay, we should stop now because uh, uh, this this will give us no, no, I don't, I don't care about that. It's not television, you know, but it'll give us a lot to talk about when I do this again. I haven't started repeating guests yet, but once I do that, um, I'll definitely bring you back, and we might want to sit together in a small gray painted room to sort of make it feel like it it did back then with no windows or anything like that. That would be a lot of fun, don't you think? Well, we need. Uh... Or or the or the or the cubes and have Norm from IBM on the other side. I love Rummy. Give him hell, Rummy. Do you remember when Norm made us put Fox News on the TV? We had to have Fox News on all the time, and and we just started going, "What the hell? Why do we have Fox News on constantly in the office? You know, why can't we put anything else on?" Norm was doing uh, consulting for IBM for for dot com. I'm sure people are fascinated by this, but you know, for us, it was very uh, charming. He reminded me a lot of uh, Harvey Keitel. That's who yes, I thought. He was. Right? He was. It was, was a little bit kind. He wasn't as scary as Harvey Keitel, but he had the same kind of like voice and personality. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you. This is fantastic. Thanks for thanks for doing this and and no just worry. reminding me of a lot of fun stuff. This is so much fun. I've been at, I've been out of the territory for about sixteen years, so uh, 
Yeah, I know. Loser leaves town in 2004, right? <laughs> and I, I left town. <laughs> you did. You honored the stipulation. I honored I didn't come back in a mask either. Yeah, so. you, you were like Gary Hart shaving his head, and that was that. The rest of his career. <laughs> All right, B-Train. And you get the B-Train, the pain train cover. You got to talk about the pain train. Oh, God, that's right, because we, so we had a, well, we had a wrestler, <clears throat> as people know, named A-Train, right, Albert he was calling himself A Train, and I just spontaneously decided one day that everybody should call me B Train, <laughs> and then people just did start calling me B Train, and it just kind of stuck. Although now, you know, you calling me that—that's probably the first time anyone's ever called me that in like fifteen years. But it did stick for a while. Well, some of us never grow up B Train, so you know, we're still we're still stuck. I'm still stuck in the '80s, but you know, some of us are still stuck in the uh, 2000s too. That's true. You know, if you never want to graduate junior high school, this is uh, podcasting is the business to be in for sure. I I, I don't th I don't think the Hall was that ambitious. I think he just said leave junior high school. <laughs> I don't think he said graduate. True. And as okay. Dr. Tom, as Dr. Tom said, we'll leave it at this. He was talking at the diva shoot once and he was like passing out money to the divas and we're sitting there in a nice afternoon. And he 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 goes. I'll never complain about working in wrestling because it sure beats being a greeter at Walmart. <laughs> yes, so some of them had a good appreciation for where they were. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, and I, I was one of them. It was fun for a while. We all have fun for a while and then, and then it's not fun anymore and you got to get out. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, you gotta, you gotta stay sane, right? Yep. You try. All right, Aaron, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure and uh, an honor and a privilege, as they say. All right, B-Train, thanks for reaching out. Good to, good to see you and talk with you. All right. There you have it, folks. My conversation with my former WWE Magazine stable mate, Aaron Feigenbaum, a.k.a. Aaron Williams, a.k.a. The Informer. I won't tell. Thank you, Aaron, for being a part of the show. We'll have to have you back. And we've got more uh, of my former colleagues on the way, actually, in the weeks to come and shut up and wrestle. But before we get to those uh, next week, I have for you uh, someone that I've been saving. And I'm, I'm very proud of this one. Uh, my guest next week is going to be Ross Hart of the Hart Wrestling Family. He is kind of the historian of the family and just a, a general wrestling historian and fountain of wrestling knowledge in general. He had a lot to say about his family's history in the business and just the history of the business in general. So I think you're going to love that. That's going to be next week for episode 32. Uh, in the meantime, as I said, uh, other former Titan employees on the way. We've got uh, former chief photographer, photo editor Tom Buchanan. I believe about 17 years or 15 years maybe Tom was uh, the photo editor for WWE and uh, their various uh, publications. And uh, you'd see him at ringside at almost every show. Um, also, Keith Caramello, uh, who was a graphic designer and, and, and artist for WWE, best known probably for designing the undisputed WWE uh, championship belt and a couple of other different belts, the U.S. title belt that they had in Houston. 
there for years. Keith is great. He's a blast. He's also the guy that uh, taught Taz the word yambag. So if that uh, delights slash infuriates you, take a listen when he's going to be a guest, as well as the longtime promoter, Sheldon Goldberg is coming to shut up and wrestle as well. Haven't done that interview yet, but we'll be doing it soon and we'll be bringing it to you on this very podcast, which of course you can find at our website, suawpod.com. And you can also find it really wherever you get podcasts. So that means Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict. Um, Wherever you find all these great shows and the other Arcadian Vanguard shows, you will find Shut Up and Wrestle. If you are interested, if you are one of the people out there living under the rock who have not yet purchased a copy of Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, it is still available on Amazon.com and other outlets. You can get it in print form, digital form, or as an audiobook read by me now what more could you ask for than 14 and a half hours of brian solomon reading to you about the life story of the sheik so go ahead and do that pick up the book while it's still available and there's also the magazines that i write for i mentioned inside the ropes earlier in the show there is also pro wrestling illustrated can't forget them good old pwi go to p uh that's pwi hyphen online.com to get copies of that you can also find pwi at barnes and noble uh stop and shop uh, walgreens walmarts places like that even uh some very hip newsstands you will still find pwi so go check it out if you are looking for me on social media, you will find me on Twitter or Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. And if you want to find uh, the Facebook group for Shut Up and Wrestle, you can go to Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon on Facebook. And I also have my own Facebook page, my author Facebook page, which you can get, uh, you can find at Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my official author website. My little corner of what we like to call the World Wide Web. So check it out if you have a chance. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that as the great Larry Zabisco said, time fears only the pyramids and the legends of professional wrestling. So long, wrestling fans. 